Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. All right, welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. We are still here in Lawfather headquarters. Uh, We're taping this right in the middle of April. We're still in the middle of all of this quarantine that everybody is in. So here we go. Let's uh, get it started. Like I said, right here from Lawfather headquarters. A little little uh, added gift for you all watching on the Instagram live feed. We are doing this video again on Instagram live. We have Bobblehead Coach Urso. So um, you guys can see him there holding the national championship trophy as his head uh, bobbles his way through. How to reach me? 855-LAWFATHER, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. Uh, our next episode will have listener questions. So if you have a legal question and you want it answered on our on the Lawfather podcast, go ahead and reach out to lawfather at tampalawfather.com. Uh, that is not actually the company email. That is my email that I use specifically for this show. Instagram, the Lawfather Tampa. Facebook, the Lawfather. Uh, one thing that I want all the personal injury attorneys out there to keep in mind, uh, those that do car crashes, slip and falls, medical malpractice, anything that needs medical records, uh, call Bravo Delta if you need some help getting those medical records secured, uh, 813-591-4259. Cut down on some of your overhead and get records in in a little bit more timely manner. Uh, another thing that I want to bring up to you that we're doing, I uh, came up with this idea today. Uh, once again, those of you watching on the Instagram live feed, you can see the shirt that I'm wearing right now. It is a Frankie Injury Law shirt with a Sheriff Star and our FL logo in the middle. Check our social media because we are going to be doing a fundraiser for law enforcement during this uh, difficult time with the pandemic and, and all the things that they're going through. We're going to be selling these T-shirts, and what we're going to do is we're going to take the proceeds and donate it to the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office and the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. Uh, alternative, alternatively, looking at a, a second part of the fundraiser, uh, we have a little new fun Lawfather logo for shirts. Uh, may put those up as well and take the proceeds from that other shirt and put it towards either other first responders or uh, hospital personnel. So just a little thing that we're going to do. Keep uh, keep an eye on our social media, and we'll have put out there in the near future exactly what we're doing for that and how you can get a hold of those shirts. So talking about the coronavirus and where we are with things, let's look at the current status of the legal world because, you know, as, a, as an active trial attorney, it's a weird, weird time for us. Uh, we're, we're working remotely. Uh, like I said, at the top here, we're working out of Lawfather headquarters. And for the most part, courts are essentially shut down uh, just in the terms of in-person. So you know, we, I just finished a mediation uh, a week ago where we had seven defense attorneys and two plaintiff's attorneys, and we did it on a Zoom conference. It was kind of crazy, but we got it done, and you know, it was a new and unique process. One, I think that was more efficient. I was able to actually sit here and uh, sit on my computer and do some work in between time. If you've never seen a mediation, this is how it goes. You have an opening. So I gave my opening. This is my client. This is how they're damaged. This is why you should pay them this amount of money. The other plaintiff's attorney did the same thing. And then all the defense attorneys got on and 
explained why our clients collectively weren't entitled to any money, okay? Or we're entitled to less than what we're asking for. And then after that, we all break apart. We go in separate rooms and it takes an entire day of back and forth, but there's a lot of downtime. So we were able to use that downtime that we really generally aren't otherwise able to in the comfort of my own office to sit and, and do some work. So that was a benefit there. Uh, good end result of the case. So pretty happy with that. Uh, you know, the other piece that's been a little different for us plaintiff's attorneys is dealing with closed doctor's offices. It's been somewhat of a shell game moving people around to different places, finding doctor's offices that are open. So um, just really a unique time that we're in and really trying to do our, do our, our best to get through it. You know, and talking about the court system, I was reading today that California is tolling some of their timelines. And that's really kind of an interesting concept. So let's look at a couple things. First off, what is tolling? Because it's not necessarily something that we use in everyday language. Uh, not necessarily sure that it's a quote unquote legal term per se, but it's something that we use a lot in the legal field. And basically it's essentially a suspension of time. If the date that something was supposed to occur was say April 17th, uh, if you were to toll that time, it would essentially suspend that time. However many days the tolling is for. Um, and so where this comes from is California has told their statute of limitations very, very important concept because that is the last time you have to file a lawsuit. So in Florida, if you're in a car crash or any negligence action for that matter, so car crash, slip and fall, dog bite, someone punches you at a bar, uh, things that are, are fall under the negligence portion, those are have a four-year statute of limitations, contract actions in Florida. So someone breaches a contract, and we're going to talk a little bit about breach of contract here in a little bit, uh, that carries a five-year statute of limitations. What does that mean in the negligence sense? Four years from the date you were hurt in the breach of contract sense, five years from the breach of contract. After that time, you can't bring a case. So kind of interesting. Uh, California is tolling that the statute of limitations. Could that happen in Florida? And I don't think so. Um, at least not the way it was done in California. The way I understand it to have happened in California from the little bit I read was through their equivalent of the Supreme Court. And that would be something that really wouldn't necessarily be allowed in Florida. Uh, the, the Florida Supreme Court has made some changes to some rules. And when we're talking about rules, we're talking predominantly about the Florida rules of civil procedure. That's what we follow every day, whenever we have court, whenever we're filing things, those rules, the Florida rules of civil procedure, those are outlined by the Florida Supreme Court and the Florida Bar. Now, statute of limitations in Florida is statutory. The legislature is the only one who can change statutes. So not really sure how that could play out in Florida, if it would play out in Florida, if there's a need for it to play out in Florida, I don't think so. We are 100% e-filing. We've been 100% e-filing across the state for at least two years now, maybe three, four, uh, right around there. Uh, you know, it's it's a good thing. Uh, when they made it mandatory, it's a lot easier access to us uh, for getting records on cases, and it makes it a lot easier for us to get things filed and keep things moving. So 
just a, a little peek into what is going on in the legal world and far as far as the mechanics of cases. So just kind of a little interesting tidbit there. Uh, now, let's look at a couple of legal issues that are, are pretty current. First off, college students filing lawsuits. There is a class action lawsuit out of South Carolina. And quite honestly, I think it's the type of lawsuit that gives us plaintiff's attorneys a bad name. Uh, here's the thing. Most, if not all colleges, I don't know of any college right now that is actually having in-person classes on campus. Maybe there are, um, but they have all gone to remote online teaching. Uh, I don't know if there's any that have completely shut down, uh, but uh, I was just on a call with some people from the University of Tampa, and they've moved to uh, what they are not calling online classes, but uh, this remote online teaching concept. One of these cases that we're talking about, this college student lawsuit, is out of the University of Miami. The University of Miami is a private school in Miami, Florida, about 11,000 students. And most of their stuff takes place uh, in campus, from what I understand. And here's the basis of the complaint. The school markets living on campus to uh, increase the experience of being a college student. Okay, that's number one. Number two, uh, other online schools charge less than the University of Miami. All right. Uh, number three, the student made the decision to enroll in an in-person institution. All right, and we talked about a little bit with our statute of limitations, okay? But this is a breach of contract case, all right? It's a single count breach of contract complaint. I found the complaint, took a look at it, looked to see what exactly they were trying to do in, in the initiation of this lawsuit. Now, let's look at a few pieces here because when we're talking about a breach of contract, we're typically looking at a piece of paper that everybody has signed. In this case, when, when you're selecting a college, when you're going to a college, I'm not sure you're you're getting that same typical contract that that you would expect. Now, uh, are there other versions of contracts other than your typical in writing contracts? Yes, uh, emails can count as contracts in certain circumstances. Verbal agreements can count as contracts. So it's not narrowly tailored to just what's on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper or, or on a docu sign. Okay, it can actually also have to do with with emails and other pieces as well. I am really, really against a lawsuit of this nature. I really am. Uh, you know, we're talking about a nationwide pandemic. The school is caught really in the middle. Essentially what this lawsuit is saying, well, you need to refund our money. Okay, but the school is still providing the service. The school is providing online or said another way, remote teaching opportunities. Yes, you're not getting that in-person in class, having your classmates next to you feel. Uh, I suppose you could set up a Zoom call with them later on. Uh, anybody who's been on a Zoom call, you have a lot of people that are, are set up on there and you could actually see everybody. So, you know, there's ways around it. Okay. And that's what we're looking at here. Now, the fact that online schools charge less than the University of Miami, you know, I don't think that really passes muster from the legal standpoint because. The standard isn't what other online schools charge. I think what we would really have to look at is, does Miami 
have an online program? Does Miami charge something less for an online program than an in-person program? I think that's that's really the key. And if Miami does charge less for an online program than an in-person program, you know, I, I think there may be some ability to recover here. But you know, I don't like the lawsuit as a whole. I, I don't like the concept of it. Now, what I could get behind is you live on campus and you have a meal plan. So those two things you're pay, you have paid for, but you're not receiving the benefit. Do I agree that schools should probably refund a pro rata share of those two items? Yeah, probably. Um, is it lawsuit worthy? You know, for each individual student, we're not talking huge sums of money, but when you add it all up, it, it can become a large amount. And I think that's probably why this is being looked at as a class action suit. But that part, I could somewhat get behind. I don't see it just, I don't see this lawsuit as being solely about the, uh, to the, um, the meal plans and the living expenses. It seems more to be about the tuition. So possibly more to come on that. I'm going to follow this a little bit as we move through this thing. This was just filed, I believe, about seven days before today. So no one even has had to respond to it yet, uh, 20 days for an answer to a complaint. So we're still really in the infancy stages of this. Now, sports. Hey, NFL draft is coming up uh, less than a week from from now. Uh and there was a little bit of drama over the NFL collective bargaining agreement. Eric Reed, who seemingly has been a, been a little bit of a lightning rod uh, throughout time in terms of uh, being a little bit outspoken about things, uh, has threatened legal action based on voted language and ratified wording. Okay, and just to take a step back for those of you that don't that don't know, I am an NFL certified agent as well as an attorney here in Tampa. And really look at these things. I spent a lot of time looking at this collective bargaining agreement so I could advise my players uh, in this upcoming draft so that they knew what changes to expect. Now, what are we talking about here in voted on versus ratified wording? So as all of this was coming through, the NFLPA, which is the union for the players, was sending us summaries of the new language in the collective bargaining agreement. They actually sent us a copy of the proposed collective bargaining agreement. And we looked through it and discussed it with our players and they voted on determining whether or not it was something that they wanted to uh, adopt. Okay, the, the old collecting of collective bargaining agreement was set to expire after this season, 2020. Uh, it, it, we now have the new one in place that will take care of 2020 all the way through 2030. And so this voted on is what the players actually voted on. Ratified is the final version that was signed off on by the NFLPA uh, as a representative of all the players in the NFL and the NFL itself. There's it's really really tricky uh, in a in a legal standpoint. This part is simple. It's an on or after clause versus a prior to. So on or after January 15th versus prior to January 15th. Uh, I looked through some of the summary materials. That date doesn't appear anywhere. That language doesn't appear anywhere, which I don't think is a problem. I, I think it's perfectly fine. Um, and if you look at the, the collective bargaining agreement as a whole, uh, there's multiple par paragraphs that revert back to each other. And it, it appears that one of them 
one of those revert back to paragraphs just had a wrong piece of wording in there. And if you look at what the agreement says, and here we are right back to contracts, that the NFLPA will fix any typographical errors. And that's part of the contract between the NFLPA and the NFL. So if the NFLPA does not fix that error, the NFL could theoretically come after the NFLPA under a breach of contract action. Now, what this is really about is offset of social security benefits versus NFL benefits. And what that means is if you're receiving social security benefits, your NFL benefits are going to be reduced by the amount of the social security benefits, basically not letting you double dip. I can't say that I would be opposed to language such as that. Um, I think it's really equitable and fair, but you know, it, it could be something that pops up. He had Eric Reed has threatened a lawsuit, but I don't believe he'd actually be able to. Uh, the National Labor Relations Board controls unions, and this would be a grievance between a union member and a union. Okay, so um, when you think about you know the old old mob movies and the construction unions up in the Northeast, this is really no different, I, I guess, other than the mob aspect to it. Okay, uh, it's a legitimate business. But it is still a business, not just a sport. So you do have that labor union piece. So that is the Eric Reed NFL CBA drama. Uh, I do want to take a second, though. Uh, there was a point that I wanted to make about the college lawsuit piece. And, you know, I think it's something that the colleges, based on a breach of contract action, like the one that I had explained uh, about the refunds, really the colleges could be put in, in really a precarious position. Because if they say, okay, well, you know what? We're going to have in-person classes. Well, you know, the reality is most of them can't because of stay-at-home orders. But let's say you, and we're in Florida and we're under a stay-at-home order. So I don't, I don't believe it'd be legal for the colleges to operate anyway. But let's say you're in a state that didn't have a stay-at-home order and you were still doing online classes. Say you get served with this lawsuit and you say, hey, we're going to open classes back up. Then someone gets sick. Were you negligent, college? Did you do something wrong? Can me as the sixth student or uh, God forbid, if the sixth student were to pass away, could the family bring a lawsuit on behalf of that student for negligence against the university for going back to, to in-person classes? Kind of an interesting thought, something to keep in mind. So really kind of caught between a rock and a hard place here. Do you do everything remote or do you bring people on and risk a potential negligence lawsuit? I personally think the schools are doing the right thing. Uh, and, you know, like I said, room and board and meal plans, hey, maybe those should be refunded. Uh, it only seems to make sense because, you know, the people aren't physically there. So that's where that stands. Uh, hopefully I didn't cause too much confusion with jumping back to that. But I thought that was an important point to get on and talk about. All right. And to wrap up the show today. We're going to bring back case or no case, which is something that we're doing every other show. And for today, we have a special guest for case or no case. We have the lovely Daryl Frankie will be assisting us. Uh, she's here in Lawfather headquarters. Uh, we're quarantined together. So um, I suppose that that means we're all in Lawfather headquarters together. And um, for those of you who didn't put the make the connection there with the same last name, that is my wife, and she's taken a couple minutes out of her day to play this fun game with us. So, are you ready to play case or no case? I am. I'm looking forward to it. 
All right. So I'm sure you've seen it on TV when we were doing it on TV. But what it is, is we are, I'm going to give three cases and you're going to have to guess which case is actually a case. All right. Let's do this. All right. Case number one, the case of the Wrangler. Jimmy is driving his new Jeep Wrangler on 275. He has the top off and the wind in his hair. Jimmy is in the left lane. There is a car next to and just in front of Jimmy in the middle lane. Jimmy is in the car's blind spot. This car starts to make a lane change, and Jimmy beeps and swerves to avoid the crash. Jimmy loses control of his Jeep, and it lands on his roof with its roll-me-over sticker right side up. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy does not have any information on the other driver. Jimmy is hurt and files a lawsuit against his uninsured motorist company. Does Jimmy have a case? Number two, the case of Old Salty. And this is the NFL draft version as we have that coming up in just a few days here. Old Salty is a football player. Salty does not get picked in the NFL draft, but he is invited to a three-day tryout called Rookie Minicamp. Salty is not on the team, nor has he signed a contract with the team. Salty dives for a ball and breaks his wrist. The injury requires surgery. The team refused to pay for his medical bills. Does Old Salty have a case? And finally, number three, the 2013 case. Alex is driving on West Shore Boulevard in 2013. Alex is driving the speed limit and otherwise driving safely. A truck driving in the other direction crosses the yellow line, causing a head-on collision that obliterates Alex's car. Alex has severe injuries. Alex learns he will now need another surgery because of this crash. That is the last straw for Alex. He now decides to sue the other driver. Does Alex have a case? So, is it the case of the Wrangler, the case of Old Salty, or the 2013 case? Daryl? All right. I'm going to say it's not number two because he was not a part of the team. So, I'm going to say that's not a case. Um... I would think number three, however, you're clearly indicating the year there, 2013. So I'm thinking that the time to make a case must have passed. There must be some type of law there that says that he can't go back. So I'm going to go with number one, the case of the Wrangler. And you would be correct. It is the case of the Wrangler. (laughs) All right. So let's get into why. Our case or no case question answer was the case of the Wrangler. We'll break it down like this. The 2013 case, it's something that we actually talked about earlier in today's podcast, checking to make sure that everybody's actually listening to what's going on during the podcast. So 2013, it's 2020. It's been seven years. The statute of limitations in Florida for a negligence action is four years. Uh, The case of Old Salty, uh, although... The player didn't actually sue the team in this case. Uh, this was actually one of my players last year. Uh, he had a, a rookie mini camp invite. He really did die for a ball and break his wrist. Uh, kid ran a 4-3-40 during pro day and went from unknown to getting on some team's radars. And so it was really unfortunate when he did break his wrist. And the reality is he signed a waiver. The waiver is really ironclad. It was actually a discussion that I had with the NFLPA as to uh, what his rights actually were, which we knew were zero. However, um, the NFLPA generally generally likes us to call them 
uh, other than to just use our legal minds when we know something is how it's supposed to be. They kind of want the sign off on it, which is fine. I get it. They have uh, a lot of liability at stake. But anyway, uh, not a case because, as Gerald did mention, he's not a part of the team. Um, it was a tryout, and the part that she wouldn't have known is he had signed a waiver, and those waivers, the way they're written, are ironclad. Uh, good, somewhat good ending uh, for him. The team did pay for the surgery, and he signed with the Falcons at the end of last season. So definitely, you know, it worked out okay for him in the end. Um, so number two, not a case. Number one, why is it a case? Well, it's what we call in the uh, car crash industry as a phantom vehicle. We don't know anything about the vehicle. There was no actual contact with the vehicle. So it's called a phantom vehicle. It just, it, it's there, it happened. You know, sometimes it's not plausible when a client calls us and says, well, yeah, there was this car that appeared. You have to listen to all the facts. You have to look at all the facts. And it does happen. I mean, I, I think we've all seen it on the roadways where someone kind of comes over, they don't hit you, but you try to move out of the way because you see that you're coming or they're coming where you are and you're trying to avoid a crash. And then lo and behold, something happens and your car crashes. Uh, if you've ever seen it, we have the Lawfather Jeep uh, decked out in all uh, Lawfather and Frankie injury law uh, stuff uh, with a, a two and a half or three inch lift on it. You know, it's pretty unruly on the highway. So, you know, driving a Jeep Wrangler, I can see where, where you could potentially have more chance of an issue there of losing control, trying to swerve out of the way of, of, a, of a phantom vehicle. Okay, probably uh, more of a chance of that in a Jeep Wrangler than, say, a Lamborghini that's low to the ground, low center of gravity. It's going to be really hard to flip type of thing. So, number one, it is a case he can file against his uninsured motorist company, which is what Jimmy does in this case. So, number one is your case for case or no case. Now, as you've listened to this, uh, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you want to get a hold of me, if you want to talk to me on the phone, if you just want to ask me a question, you want to shoot the breeze, you just want to talk, 855-LAWFATHER. Okay? Uh, right now, while we're in Lawfather headquarters, I'm actually answering that phone, or at least uh, as many of the calls that I can answer. Uh, otherwise, our receptionist picks it up. Email lawfather at tampalawfather.com. That is the email for this show. Our Instagram, the, the Lawfather Tampa, and Facebook, the Lawfather. So, plenty of ways to get a hold of us. Follow us on social media. We try to put out some, uh, some entertaining pieces as well as some informative pieces. So, keep a look and keep an eye out on there. Let me know what you think of it. And that's the podcast for today. Lawfather out. This is a Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Today, I am super excited about the guest I have. She is all the way in Southern California. Her name is Gigi, and she is otherwise known as the Salmon Queen. Be sure to follow her at Gigi Eats because her page is going to change your life. I see Instagram as a platform for where I make I make new friends. I meet new people like yourself and uh, I'm just who I am. So my number one tip is to be you. Don't try to copy someone else's feed thinking that's going to help you grow because that that's been done. That person has aced that feed of theirs with their pink, gray and white 
color scheme. Um, <laughs> so you do you and they can do them. That's, that's my number one tip because as you've probably seen on my page, I have no filter. I'm just who I am. One of my things that I do is like if I make an Instagram story and I fuck up my words or I don't like the way I look or something like that, I don't care. I still post it because I'm like, I, first of all, maybe I'm just too lazy to make another one. I don't know. Or I just don't have time. But I, I just, I like real people. I like mm-hmm. real. And these days there's so much fake all over Instagram and it drives me absolutely bananas because, you know, there are younger people out there that are very impressionable and they see this fakeness and they think it's real and then they try to emulate it and then it just is this vicious cycle and then they, you know, start to feel crappy about themselves if they don't look exactly like uh, a supermodel or some shit like that and that's where social media takes a negative nosedive. Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.